And our reading this morning is from Revelation uh, chapter 21, and you can follow along either in the, the Bibles in the pews or on the screen, hopefully. A new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud, a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen. This is the second time in this week that I've been looking at these particular words from Revelation 21. The first was at the Thanksgiving service for Billy McCallan on Wednesday as we drew comfort from the hope of this beautiful promise for our future secured in Christ. And I want to begin this morning by stressing that this is the most important thing for us to take away from reading these words this morning. If you miss everything else I say, if you forget the details, or if I explain any or all of this badly in any way, um, please know these simple truths and guard them in your heart. For all of us who know Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, he will one day return. And on that day, he's going to wipe away every tear. There's going to be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, because he is making all things new. It's New Year's Eve today. So tonight, we will celebrate the changing of 2023 to 2024, that massive thing that happens every year at midnight. And many of us are likely to make resolutions. Um, we'll determine to accomplish certain things in the new year, or give up some things, or maybe have better routines. Maybe you're going to join the gym, or cut out carbs, or just go to bed at a decent hour. Um, or at least, many of us are, are likely to at least reflect on and kind of consider the bigger picture of life. Think about how things are going, about where we are headed, about what we've learned in the past year, uh, what hopes or plans we have for the new year. And this is all fine and this is all great. Um, by all means, make great plans for the new year. And do better, please do better in 2024. I'm rooting for you. But far more important than any of, of this for every one of us here and for everybody out there as well is to know and lean on the simple truth and secured in our hearts to center our lives upon the fact that Jesus is coming back. Our series for Advent has been called Behold. And we have two beholds in this passage today. 
So we're going to think about both of those. Two beholds, two points, okay? So you'll have an idea when I'm going to finish. And I very creatively named these, Behold, he will dwell with them, and behold, he is making all things new. So let's first look to verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So I said earlier that you had to pay attention during the kid's story, and it seemed like you all were. Well done. Um, it's a really brilliantly condensed version of God's relationship with man, isn't it? Starting in the Garden of Eden, and mankind living with God, walking with him day by day, then sin destroying that, and a barrier being placed, forming a barrier between us and God. Then God's presence was in the tabernacle and the temple, but still with separation from us through this curtain. Then God comes down and, uh, in Jesus and he comes to rescue us and remove that separation. The curtain is torn in half. And we live now in the victory um, of what Jesus has done for us. Revelation 21 goes on to say, just after what we've been reading, it is done. That victory is won. And so God is with us now through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's in our lives. We, as the church, are the new temple. But there's more to come. Von Roberts, in his book, God's Big Picture, puts it like this. As Christian believers, we know his presence with us by his Holy Spirit. The church is God's temple on earth. But although we do know God by the Spirit, that knowledge is limited in our experience and we long to know him more. One day we shall. So we also look forward to this day when he returns to dwell physically with us again. Just like in the Garden of Eden. We'll have this full experience of his presence. Behold, the dwelling place of man is with God. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So verse three tries to make it crystal clear. It, it doubles up on the two main points of this relationship. He will dwell, sorry, we will dwell with God and we will be each other's, his people, their God. Notice that this is coming immediately after the church is described as a bride adorned for her husband. Because what happens in a marriage? What happens when two people come together to be married? They, they live or they dwell with each other and they belong to each other. He is hers and she is his. Without wanting to really get into the detail of this, the, the design of marriage is in part a representation of this relationship we will have with God. It's present, it's physical, it's shared, it's sacrificial. We look forward to it, we prepare ourselves for one another, to give ourselves to each other, 
to spend our lives with each other. We can think similarly, similarly, I've struggled with that word all week, about our future in Christ. There's the intimacy of a marriage. And then we read this most incredibly uplifting verse in verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's an Andrew Peterson song that we've used in worship a few times recently called, Is He Worthy? And the words of its chorus are mostly taken from Revelation 5, where we read the following. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and, and its seven seals. Weep no more. See, nobody is worthy, much like all of us and our broken world, us broken people, so there is weeping everywhere. But when there is the one who is worthy, when he has conquered, there's no more need to weep. When we are with the one who is worthy, there shall be no more crying because he will wipe away every tear. We read this earlier in the kids' book. The people did a terrible thing. They decided they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God calls this sin. Sin spoils things. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in the garden anymore. And he sent them outside. To show the people they had to stay outside, God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. The angels were like a big keep out sign. So this is a simplified version of Genesis 3 or the fall. Adam and Eve sin. And the result is separation from God. Now, here in Revelation, we're reading about the reversing or the correcting of that Genesis 3 curse. When the curtain tore, when Jesus died at Calvary, the way to God was opened again for all of God's people. There was a physical representation of what, has of what was happening spiritually to allow us to gain access again to God. Because access to God is the be-all and end-all of all things. We sometimes complicate that in the work of the church, don't we? A quick question for those who have been around Presbyterian churches for a bit longer, okay? So maybe a few more uh, wise, experienced, grayer heads might have the answer to this, okay? 
Who can tell me the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism? I, I hear it from a few. So some not so grey hair as well. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. Why else do we want to share this good news? We want others to be able to enjoy him forever too. Jesus is our saviour, the, the key to eternal life. The reason why we would want eternal life in the first place is because it is eternal life with God. We're reading this right after Christmas, so our minds are firmly fixed on Jesus' time on earth. You know, that name Jesus, God, sorry, Emmanuel, God with us. And our mind is drawn back to John chapter 1, verse 14, that Stuart has mentioned a few times over the past few weeks. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen the glory. Behold the glory of God. All that we are reading in this passage, no death, no crying, no mourning. This is beautiful. And we live in expectance of this. But we also look forward to simply beholding the glory of God. We will behold his glory again because we will dwell with him and he with us. We can't comprehend the beauty and wonder of simply being in his presence, face to face, being with the almighty creator, savior, God of heaven and earth. Behold his glory, he will dwell with us. Moving on to verse 5, we find our second, behold. And he was seated on the throne. He who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. We've just read that these former things or first things have passed away. No more tears, no death, no pain. And there's no need, for like, no need for deep theological explanation of these concepts. They're fairly straightforward. It's gospel truth laid out. There will be no pain, no crying, no mourning. They are going to be former things. Sadness will end. Brokenness will be no more. These words in Revelation 20 that we share often pastorally to remind us of the future hope we have are exactly that. That is our beautiful hope. Our hope for tomorrow. And our hope for today. I'm often talking to people about how uh, believing Christianity, um, it, it requires an understanding that this world is broken. Okay, And I don't think that's, that in itself is a difficult concept to grasp. Just look outside. Believing we are broken, for some of us that's maybe a little bit more of a challenge, but if we're honest, it shouldn't be much of a stretch. And yet, 
in this broken world, full of broken people, with death and pain and mourning and tears all around us, there are glimpses of true beauty. Just look around you in this room. We are all here because we are in dire need of a saviour. You'll not like to hear this, but we are wicked. We are not good. We are condemned. We are beyond hope. This is what we have in common, our hopeless situation without Christ. And yet, I see generosity. I see patience. I see forgiveness, goodness, love. Because we live in the, the now but not yet of God's kingdom. God, or sorry, not God, Stuart, mentioned the other week that prophecy, and that's a terrible blunder. <laughs> I apologize. It's not what I was trying to say. Um, Stuart mentioned the other week that Old Testament prophecy often had a, a sort of partial near fulfillment along with an ultimate far-off fulfillment in Christ. And in Revelation 21, we're reading about when Jesus returns, what will happen, what he will do, the, the far-off ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And yet we also read these words. Behold, I am making all things new. There will be no death, no tears. That's the ultimate gospel hope that we stand on, but we also have a present hope. When we offer these words with those who are suffering, those who are grieving, those in pain, those who are afraid in their present day, we offer it to point to Jesus and this eternal hope that we have for our future. But we also believe in his power at work in our today, in and through the Holy Spirit and through his people to love and care for us now, to heal us now in the midst of our pain. It may not be perfect. It may be partial. It may not be ultimate yet, but these words are our security for our future and our security for our today. He is making all things new. Jesus has won. He has conquered. The victory is secured. It is done. Future is secure. That is our ultimate hope in Jesus. But God is also at work in you and I's messy lives, in our broken present. When Stuart stands here, when I stand here, when Shane stands here and speaks to you guys, okay, we look out and when we see many of you, we, we know that there's pain, there's hurt. We know there's people who are grieving, who are confused and scared about life. We see gaps from those who aren't here, who are missing because of the brokenness in their worlds. Earlier I mentioned reflecting on this past year. And when I reflect on this year, especially in this new role that I've been doing, what strikes me most 
is the people in our family here who I know have been in the trenches, who I wish I could step in and, and pull out myself, but I can't, Stuart can't. Elders here can't, pastoral team can't. We can't do any of that. We're no better than any of you. We're in the mess as well. We're living here in this wicked, condemned, broken world, just as mired in the rot. But God can, and Jesus did. He stepped right down into it, left the glory of heaven to step into our broken, messy world. And he got pretty messed up doing it. Bloodied, ripped apart and hung up to die on a cross. He did it to pull you and me up. He stepped into our trenches, the brokenness of this world, to pull us out because only he could. And he's not back yet. And we need to wait for that to come. But he is making all things new. There is hope for your future and hope for your today. Verse 1 we read, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, anybody hoping for a deep dive on the New Jerusalem will have picked up on it earlier when I mentioned the church prepared as a bride. I, I'm not prepared to lose focus on what's important or get into discussions about Jerusalem or Israel or anything like that, especially considering the tragic horror that is happening at the moment. There's nothing to be gained. But all I will say is that I believe the New Jerusalem to represent the church of God. And I love that the old Jerusalem is where redemption occurred and the new Jerusalem is where we are renewed. The old Jerusalem is where Christ reached in and saved us and the new Jerusalem is where he is beautifying us. He beautifies us in the church. The church as a bride adorned for her husband. Now some of the things we read in Revelation are confusing. We aren't necessarily designed to understand it all before Jesus returns. So if, you, if you've been out buying books in Revelation that tell you this means that and this means that and this means that, just that's probably not what we need. This is prophetic, apocalyptic writing. Again, I've been practicing all week to say apocalyptic, right? So there's a degree to which we can't know exactly what this is going to look like. We're told the sea was no more. And that's, that's a strange one for us. I'm sure the sea is full of life and goodness. But earlier in Revelation, we read that the beast comes out of the sea. And in Daniel 7, he has visions of four great beasts coming out of the sea. The sea is one of seven supposed evils in Revelation that John speaks of as being no more. So we can't know how much of it is literal, but if it is, then it's bad news for fishermen. We also read here of a new heaven and a new earth. Yet we're also told that God will dwell with his people. So there is a, a unifying of heaven and earth 
in Jesus. Paul confirms this in Ephesians 1 where he tells us God purposed to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So restoration back to the the nature of the Garden of Eden. God and man will once more be united in fullness. The reversal of that separation from Genesis 3 that were mentioned. That curse also included pain and toil for Adam and Eve. And sin itself brought about spiraling brokenness. And here we see all of this reversed as God renews all things. Bringing back the Edenic garden goodness. So, I guess my question at this point is, how does this make you all feel this morning? Hopefully some of you are excited for Jesus to return. I hazard to say, can I have an amen? Somebody to mention. <laughs> Maybe it worries you. Maybe it just doesn't affect you at all. You're all sitting very Presbyterian-like and, you know. Maybe you're apathetic towards it. 2 Peter 3 tells us this. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Are we looking forward to it? As we go to bed tonight, uh, expectant for 2024, probably for most of us it'll already be 2024, but expectant for this new year, how would you feel about waking up to Jesus' return? What would that mean for you? Are you ready? I don't mean to sound like a billboard on the way to Balmina, but are you expectant and excited for Jesus' return? Verse six, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I don't enjoy reading passages like that last verse. And when I share anything like this in church, I, I worry that I'm going to offend somebody. Historically, the opposite has been the case where I've been complimented on sharing those tough verses, which is nearly worse because it makes me wonder, well, what's that person thinking that they think the rest of you all need to hear it? But it's God's word, and my confidence rests in him and in his word. I don't read that to make you have a listen and, and kind of decide, do I fit the description of any 
Anyone on that list? I read it because it reminds us that there's an alternative to the new heaven and the new earth. We don't disbelieve in a hell. I'm not about to describe it. Personally, I'm relieved that I don't need to know the details. I'm thankful that I will be his son. I will drink from the spring of the water of life without payment. I will have the heritage described in the verses that we focused on today. Going into 2024, are you confident in that too? If not, please come speak to me after. Speak to some of the prayer ministry team. Grab an elder or some, grab somebody and speak to them. Come to know this Jesus who is coming back soon to take your mess and make it new. And if you are confident in him, then brothers and sisters in Christ, just as 2 Peter 3 tells us, look forward to the day of God and speed its coming because he will be with us and he's going to make all things new. Let's look forward to that. Let's be excited for that. And Peter has further advice in, in 2 Peter 3 verse 17 where he says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. There's no better resolution than you could make for the new year. I'm not saying forget your gem. I was going to say forget the gem, but no, don't forget the gem. But this is where our attention should lie. Of all the things we could do to better ourselves, this is where it could be. Nothing more will more greatly strengthen you. And even more importantly, nothing will help you enjoy him more. In fact, at the beginning of the service, I mentioned a couple of courses that start in January that could help you out with just that. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we go into this new year, help us not to overcomplicate things. Help us to just look to you. Lord, as we, as we move ahead, as we move forward with our lives, may you be the goalpost, Lord. Not that we're aiming to get to you or working to get to you, but that we're excited for this journey, that we are heading towards being with you. God, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit present with us now. Daily in our lives, Lord, all that you do for us in the present, God. We thank you that you are making things new in our present. That you reached down, you came into this world, into our mess. You're not distant. You're in the midst of us, God. And help us, Lord, look forward to the day where we'll physically be with you where all of this is corrected, all of this is fixed, all this mess that we could not fix is renewed in you. God, especially, Lord, I pray for those with tears in their eyes today. 
Lord, only you have the, the power. Only you are worthy to wipe them away. Lord, we look forward to that day, but Lord, as well, we pray that you would wipe them away today. Fill our hearts with the joy of knowing you and the expectancy of being with you.